never know what a day is going to hold. I ask that you take your Bibles this morning and you turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. One of my favorite time times of day is the morning. I know it sounds strange because we all, we like to sleep, I think, and that's something we appreciate, and the morning seems to interrupt our sleep, and so, you know, why would morning be one of those favorite times? Well, everything is waking up, you know, not just yourself, but everything else, nature, and one of my favorite times is when I get to go to the deer stand. I get out there before daybreak, and I'm there just as everything starts to wake up. You hear the birds starting to chirp. You hear the, the, the squirrels starting to bark at each other and different things. You, you get to see everything wake up and start moving. I get to have my coffee and kind of take it a little easy. Mornings are, are great to me anyway. And the Bible is also filled with some amazing statements about the morning. Uh, we're told that Jesus prayed early in the morning. If you go back in the Old Testament and, uh, and, and look at Joshua, it, he's pictured as a man that rose up early in the morning to begin serving and praying and, and preparing. And, and just think of that morning in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham rose up early in the morning And he took his son Isaac, his only son Isaac, that one that had been promised and and the the, the promise would be fulfilled through. He took that son Isaac and he went to Mount Moriah there to sacrifice him and and the Lord provided himself a lamb. Uh, You you think uh, it it just, it it had to have been a glorious morning, that morning um, when Daniel Uh, had been in the lion's den all night. And he looks up to see those first rays of sunlight begin to dance across the horizon and knowing that God had provided and God had protected and God had shut up the mouths of the lions that morning. And just imagine how beautiful that morning was after the disciples had spent the night out on the Sea of Galilee in the storm and they wake up to see another day. They see the, the day break, and, and uh, I think about some of these great mornings that are mentioned in, in the Bible, in the Word of God, but I don't believe any of them can compare to what's discussed here in, in Luke chapter 24. It, it's a great morning. Let's, uh, let's begin reading in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. <coughs> I'd like for us this morning to uh, to just really hone in on the great morning that our Lord and Savior conquered death, He conquered hell, He, he conquered the grave for all of eternity and for all of us. There's never been a morning quite like that before and there will never be another morning like that hereafter. Just can you imagine what kind of morning that must have been when our Savior did just as he said he was going to do and rise from the dead? Now, I want you to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has effects that reach down to us today. You see, he is without a doubt alive this morning. And so I want us to consider for a few moments that thought of, oh, what a morning it must have been. And we notice, first of all, that it was a morning of solemn reflection. We see that here in verse 1. Again, verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, as the morning began to dawn early in the morning, some say this was probably about 5 o'clock or 5.30 in the morning, it was the first day of the week um, after Jesus had died on the cross. Some women came to the tomb to finish anointing the body of our Lord. They had hurriedly taken him off the cross to um, fulfill prophecy, but also not to violate law, which said, Cursed is anyone that hangs on the cross. And, and he overnight and, and so he had to be off the cross uh, to fulfill prophecy and not to be cursed all those different things and so it was a, a hurried process and so they were coming back to finish what had begun just a few days before now this anointing and process had been started by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea like I said just a few days before it was a hurried process but on this morning on this particular resurrection morning while these women were heading into the tomb our Lord's disciples they weren't in the tomb they are near the tomb they 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 weren't expecting for the tomb to be empty they weren't expecting for Jesus to have risen as he said instead what what were they doing well they were in the upper room they were afraid. They were in fear that some kind of death was going to come on them just as it had Jesus Christ. And so they were hiding. They were afraid of all that was going on. And certainly these women were, were sad. You would 
have to believe that. I mean, they obviously love Jesus or they wouldn't have taken the time or to go back to the tomb to finish the process of, of the, the, for lack of better terms, kind of embalming, the, the uh, covering with the spices and all those different things. And so they were sad. The disciples were scared. And, and and so that's where we find ourselves here. Why were the disciples so upset? Why were these women so upset? Well, they had all believed Jesus to be Messiah. They had planned their they they had placed their faith in him. They had planned their life for the past three and a half years uh, around his ministry and around what he was teaching. That he was the Christ. That he was the Messiah. That he was the one that had come and, and to to seek and to save that which was lost. They they had believed those things. They had believed though that. Um, errantly that, that he was also going to throw off that Roman yoke of bondage that was on the, the people of God. And, and even though he had told them about the cross, even though he had told them of his resurrection, that after three days he would rise again, his father would raise him from the dead, they hadn't really grasped the message. They hadn't really understood what it was all about. They didn't understand the meaning behind Christ's words. And so now he's dead. They, they saw him give up the ghost on the cross. And they saw him as he was laid in that tomb. They, they saw that his body was lifeless. The one that they had placed all of their hopes in. All of their, their future in. He was gone. This man who had so radically changed their lives by his power and had demonstrated his love and his grace and his mercy and the power of God to man who had uh, he changed everything. He, he died a violent death. It was a humiliating death. So surely these followers, these disciples, these these women that were coming to the tomb they were sad, weren't they? It'd be easy to understand. As I think about the disciples and it may be how hopeless they felt, I, I can understand and I'm glad Paul wrote what he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19, it tells us, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then all, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, of all people most to be pitied. So Paul, he, he tells us that if Jesus was indeed dead this morning, on this resurrection morning that, that we're celebrating today, then we all have a reason 
to grieve. We all have a reason to be sad. In all honesty, let's just get down to the brass tacks of it. If Jesus is really dead, then our reason for being here is pretty pointless, isn't it? If Jesus is dead, then we're all headed to hell with no hope. No hope beyond this life and no hope in this life. And if... Jesus is only the hope that we have in this life today, then we are most miserable, as Paul puts it. But the second thing I want you to notice this morning are some startling revelations. We find these here in in verses 2 through 12. We find the startling revelations. In the midst of all of the sadness, in the midst of the grief, in the midst of that fear on that morning... God the Father, He he took some um, great pains to minister to the needs of the hearts of the women and the eleven and, and the other followers that were still in Jerusalem at that time. Aren't you glad that Jesus cares for you and for me when we hurt? <laughs> because as long as we're alive, we're going to hurt a lot whether it's physically, emotionally, and and even sometimes spiritually, and He cares for us, and He cares about us in our hurt, and in our pain, and in our distress. And so, God moved on that morning in, in several different ways to encourage the hearts of those believers that had been saddened and the the disciples and all the other followers. I just want to point out just a few this morning. First, he rolled the stone away from the tomb. Now, that doesn't sound like a a big deal, but these stones weren't just like a, um, a little rock that you find outside. These were large stones that took some work to to have moved them and and they had the the roman seal on them and to have broken that seal was to have broken the law but the way that the language is set up here the original greek language this stone wasn't just kind of barely pushed to the side and where there was just a sliver of an opening where they could see inside the tomb this stone was taken and moved completely away so there was no doubt that God himself had moved that stone away. The stone was rolled away. And, and let me just tell you this. It wasn't, the stone wasn't moved so that Jesus could escape from the tomb. It was so that the others could, could be allowed the opportunity to look in, to see that Jesus had been raised from the tomb. He also sent an angelic messenger that day with the good news and the reminder that Jesus was alive. He wasn't dead, but he had been raised just as as he had told them, just as he had taught them. You see that in verses 4 through 7. You, you see it as you compare the, the harmony of the Gospels in, in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, the same story. It never has a world heard the message that this angel had to give. He told them, he's not here. He's alive. And that message, it still reverberates through the the halls of time and it will throughout all of eternity. Jesus Christ is alive. He also gave a word of encouragement for Peter. You think about old Peter. I think if we were honest, we can probably all relate to Peter more so than some of the other disciples. He had a foot-shaped 
mouth. I mean, he <laughs> he was always sticking his foot in his mouth, and 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 sometimes he was. Uh, his mouth would write checks that, that he just couldn't pay up on. And, and Peter, the one that said, was willing to, to kill the soldiers just a few days before and, and swore to Jesus that he would never deny him. Guess what Peter did? He denied him. And, and he was broken and he was upset. And, and, and Jesus... And the Father, he, he provided comfort for him. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, he, he singled Peter out when he said, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Speaking of Christ. He left a message for his followers there in that tomb as well. In John chapter 20, verses 5 through 8, we're told, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He, he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, that doesn't, on the surface, probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's just kind of okay. <laughs> but let me just explain the custom the, the, of the napkin in that society and even today. When a man had servants, when uh, or those that served him, when he was eating a meal, he would use the napkin as a, a signal for those servants during the course of the meal. If the, if the man got up and left the table and, and he took his napkin and wadded it up and, and put the napkin there back on the table in, in a big disheveled mess, it meant he was, wasn't coming back. We do the same thing, don't we? We wipe our face, we do whatever we need to do with the napkin, and then we just toss it down with whatever is that we're done with. It means it's a sign that we're done. But if he was, if the man that had the servants, if he took the napkin and he folded it and placed it beside the, 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 the plate or, or whatever it is, it meant that, I'm stepping away for just a minute, but I'll be right back. <laughs> Jesus was telling the disciples, Jesus was telling, telling the followers, I may be out of your sight right now. You might not see me inside the tomb, but I'll be right back. He was letting them know that, that he had, was risen. He was coming back just as he said he would. They hadn't seen him to this point yet, but he was assuring them. I'll be right back. Jesus uh, uh, revealed himself to uh, other disciples as he traveled along. As you read through uh, verses 13 through 35 here of Luke chapter 24, you see that he appeared to uh, two other disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
As you continue looking at the resurrection appearances of Jesus throughout the uh, the Gospels and even over into the book of Acts, you, you find that He appeared to so many others to provide them comfort, to provide them encouragement, to, to provide them even direction that what He said was true and continue on, continue being His disciples. There's a lot of other things that took place on that resurrection morning that, that marked it as a, a great and a glorious day. And for 2,000 years, even though we're removed from that, that resurrection morning by more than 2,000 years, can I tell you one thing? The message has not changed even one bit. We still need to hear the good news that Jesus died for our sins, and not just died for our sins, but He rose from the dead and He is alive today, guaranteeing us that when we place our faith in Him and we believe in Him, He will save us and He has promised us a home with Him. That's what we're guaranteed because He is alive today. You see, the person that's trapped in in sin and doesn't see an avenue of escape, they need to know that Jesus made a way to set them free, to set all sinners free. You need to know today that that if you come to Jesus for salvation or, or, or for help or whatever it is, He is there to hear you because He is alive. A dead Savior can't hear anything that you pray, but because we have a living Savior, because we serve a living Lord, He hears you and He's there to help you through this life. Everyone in this building needs to know that Jesus is alive and not just know it, but believe it. We can thank God for the the proof that Jesus lives today. That song, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. I hope that's your testimony this morning. Uh, We also find this morning that it was a morning of stunning realizations. Turn with me just a few verses over, or look with me just a few verses over. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And they were talking about these things. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and, and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, He showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of of broiled fish, and he took it and, 
and ate with them or ate before them. There were some things they realized that morning. While these disciples were cowering in the upper room out of fear for their own lives and for fear of what might come, if they were, uh, if the Jews were so willing to uh, have Jesus put to death, what would come of them? While they were hiding in that fear, something miraculous happened in their presence. Jesus, the one who had died just three days before, the one that they had seen die, the one that they had seen placed in the tomb, he was all of a sudden in their midst. I don't think the food would have been the thing that I would have needed that morning. I think I would have needed a clean pair of drawers if Jesus just showed up after I saw him die three days before. He was there with them. He was standing there with them, and they were they were terrified, and, and they thought, as the Scripture says, that they were seeing a ghost. They were seeing a spirit. But Jesus had some news to tell them. He, he showed them the, the nails, uh, the, uh, the nail holes in his hands and in his feet to prove that indeed they weren't seeing a, a spirit. They, they weren't imagining what was going on. They were, they were seeing the real Jesus Christ himself. He even offered to let them touch him and, and, and to see that he was flesh and bone. And then he sat down with them to eat. And most of the disciples, they'd heard the message. They had heard him teach on his cross and on his resurrection. But until that moment, they hadn't truly believed it or understood it. But now they were convinced that Jesus is alive. There's an interesting statement that's made here. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, on the surface, it, it makes it sound like they still didn't believe what was going on. Well, what that means is that they, it, it seemed too good to be true. Just think about it. Sometimes you get news that you just can't hardly believe, either good news or bad news, and, and, and you're just stunned about the news that you hear, whether it's good or bad. You're not either smiling or crying at that exact moment. You're just in disbelief. You're just, you can't believe what's going on. That, that's what happened to these disciples. They were beside themselves as it, it dawned on them what was going on. They were beside themselves with joy and they couldn't hardly believe what they were seeing. It was a, an exciting moment for these disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what needs to happen in the lives of so many people today, both believers and especially non-believers. Men and women, boys and girls, they need to realize that Jesus Christ is more than just a baby in a manger. He's more than just a, a good teacher. He's more than just some poor old fellow that got himself in trouble and got crucified. He's more than a story and a dusty old archaic book. People need to understand that Jesus Christ is alive today. He is real and He is the only hope people have of missing hell and spending an eternity in heaven. 
We need to grasp the truth this morning that it, it, it's not some bonnet-wearing, basket-toting, egg-hiding bunny rabbit that died for your sins and rose from the dead because that bunny rabbit, when it dies, it dies and it's going to taste good in somebody's frying pan. Listen, this day is about Jesus Christ. It's not about all the junk. It's not all about the commercialized thing that that Easter has become. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the fact that, that He died for our sins while we were yet sinners and could do nothing about it. It's about the fact that He He was raised from the dead and is alive today. He kicked the, the, the door out of the tomb so that there could be a way for us to go to heaven to live with him for all of eternity that's what this day is about so who is jesus to you is he just a story on the page of a book or is he someone that's real in your heart today even if you've been saved for a long time Sometimes we tend to lose sight of who Jesus is and that he's real and that he is alive. Who is he to you today? You see, just knowing about Jesus and what he did, that's not something that can save your soul. You have to know him in a personal and in a a real way before you can be saved from your sins. And spend an eternity in heaven. Who is Jesus to you? It's a question that we all have to face. Every person is going to answer that question one day in some shape, form, or fashion. Jesus, uh, during his earthly ministry, he, he asked his disciples that question, Who do you say that I am? If you remember, Peter answered correctly. He said, You are the Messiah, the one we've been hoping for and longing for. You are the Son of God. But there's another question that needs to be asked and answered. It's similar to that. It's the one that Pilate asked in Matthew 27 and verse 22. What do you want me to do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? What's your response to those questions this morning? Because it makes an internal difference. Something else that I want you to notice, it was a morning of spiritual repercussions. Go to verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things. So as they... Eight, that first resurrection morning, as they were divvying up their broiled fish, Jesus began to tell his disciples that God's plan 
It was to save the world. It was to take this gospel message to the rest of the world. They had been called by the Father to be witnesses uh, of what they had seen with Jesus Christ. And not just witnesses to the death and the resurrection, but witnesses to who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. And the fact that Jesus was real and that he was alive. And they were to spread the, the good news, which is the gospel, starting in Jerusalem where they lived, and go outward. When Jesus rose from the dead, there were some old enemies that had, had plagued man since sin entered into the world. They were forever defeated the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let me just share with you a few of those enemies that were defeated. First, death. <laughs> Imagine the struggle that ensued that morning as death had to give up the prince of life. No more would death be able to claim the victory and sting the human race with the, the bitter curse anymore. Jesus entered into to death's domain and rendered it completely helpless. And now for the child of God, death is merely the doorway from this land of sorrow to that heavenly place of splendor and glory where one day he's going to wipe away every tear and we'll live for all of eternity in his presence, praising and worshiping him. Hell was defeated that day. We, Especially in the Psalms, you, you find the word sometimes hell or, or sheol and it's talking about the place of departed spirits. Before he rose on that resurrection morning, he went to that place of departed spirits and said, I'm about to go back and you're coming with me. He, he preached freedom to them. And, and he, was, he, he took those with him to, to the Father as that first fruits. That's one of the beautiful things in the Old Testament, there was an offering called the first fruit offering or the wave offering. And what that was, if you've been around agriculture much at all, you, you probably understand this. Um, when you plant, sometimes there are some along, whether it's the outside of, of the, the boundary or whatever, that come up quickly and produce quickly fruit more or vegetables or whatever, more so than, than the main crop. And so they would take these first fruits and they would offer them as a offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for the harvest that was going to come. That's what this was. When he went to hell and he delivered the saints, there's more to come. It was that wave offering, that first fruits offering. He, he defeated death. He, he defeated the grave that morning all his life. All of our lives, we live in fear of that moment. That, that, that moment when we lay down this body in death. Now, and, and I understand, we're not so much afraid of dying because we know if, we, if we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, where we'll spend eternity. But that still doesn't mean that we don't fight for the next breath, does it? So there's always been kind of that, 
that thing toward death. However, I'm afraid that, that we have the, the wrong perspective when it comes to the grave. The hole in the ground is nothing more than a place to store this worn out uh, sin-ridden body until the day of the resurrection when we receive our new and glorified bodies. When we lay this flesh down in the earth, our spirit, our, our soul is with the Father in heaven. And the next time that, that we see our bodies, they're going to be glorified and they're going to be a body like His. The, the, the corruptible must take on incorruption. We, we've got to have a body that's fit for an eternity in heaven. And that's what that new glorified body is going to be. And one of these days, the grave will have to give up the body that was placed there and that body will forever be changed into one just like the one that's worn by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Instead of weeping so much when loved ones pass that, that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a part of us that ought to be jealous that they beat us home, <laughs> that, that they're seeing all this before. Uh, another enemy that died that day was sin. Now in death, in truth here, sin had been taken care of three days earlier on the cross. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the Father's amen or agreement to the sacrifice of the Son on the cross. You see, a, a dead Savior can't save anyone. But one who is alive can save all who come to him by faith. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 tells us, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for them. That's a big verse and promises some great things to everyone who will believe the message. Folks, listen. Sin doesn't have to defeat you. It doesn't have to get the best of you. Jesus won the victory over sin on the cross and he nailed his coffin lid closed when he rose from the dead. You can be free by faith in Jesus Christ. I'll mention just one more enemy that took a whipping that day. His name was Satan. The devil. Old Slewfoot, the dragon, the accuser of the brethren, the old serpent, whatever name you want to call him, for him the outcome is the same. And that resurrection morning sealed his fate. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is the enemy of God and of the people of God. He tried every way that he could to short-circuit Christ's plan to go to the cross to give his life for ours and to be raised from the dead three days later. Think about the storm on the Sea of Galilee, how it could have easily overtaken the ship and, and killed Jesus and all the disciples. You think about uh, as his earthly ministry was about to begin, the temptations that he experienced, the 40 days in, in, in isolation. You, you think about um, all that was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested and, and crucified for our sins. And the Bible tells us he sweat as it were 
were great drops of blood and and and, and you think about the cry on the cross my my god my god why have you forsaken me satan was doing everything within his power to try to avert what he knew would happen if christ rose from the dead Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus endured every temptation? He weathered every storm and He made it to the cross. He offered His life as a substitute for ours. And when He cried out, it is finished, Satan heard the foundation under His kingdom begin to to crack and to crumble and to fall apart. And three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, Satan witnessed the destruction of every plan and every scheme that he had he saw his power and he saw himself judged he was defeated forever by the Lord Jesus Christ and let me just read to you what the Bible says about Satan's future Revelation chapter 20 we're told and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And when the thousand years expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as of the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Here's where it gets good. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's some shouting ground there. I don't care who you are. Victory has forever been won over Satan. Do you, do, you, do you understand what this message and the resurrection is all about this morning? Because Jesus lives, you and I can be saved by grace and by the grace of God. Because he lives, we can have our sins washed away for all of eternity. Because he lives, we can go to heaven when we leave this world. Because he lives, the grace does not have any power over those that have believed and placed their faith in him because Jesus Christ is alive today eternal life is our present possession it's not something that we've got to hope for after we die we know it is a sure thing even today because Jesus Christ is alive one day we too are going to be with him in that the heavenly city because Jesus is alive I don't have to take a step in this world alone I don't have to face any problem, any dilemma, any circumstance all by myself. Because Jesus Christ is alive, can I tell you that there is hope, there is help, and there is a, a home waiting on us one of these days. Because I, because He is alive, 
I'm alive today. Because Jesus lives, my sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, and He doesn't remember them anymore. Because He is alive, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because Jesus Christ is alive today, God is my Father. Because Jesus is alive, sin has to, it doesn't have dominion over me anymore. Because I, because He is alive, I'm saved for all of eternity. You know what? The list could go on. We could exhaust every word of every vocabulary of every language in this world about what it means that Jesus Christ is alive today. But what we need to understand more than that is that Jesus is alive. And that's the message we share. That's the message that that we celebrate today just want to ask you, have you come to the realization that Jesus is alive and that He is who you need? That you have a Jesus-sized hole in your heart today? Do you understand what will happen if you die without Jesus Christ? Maybe there's family or friends that don't know Christ. You need to share the gospel with them. Do you understand today that there's no other way to heaven other than through Jesus Christ? I want you to understand He loves you. I want you to know that He died His death for you. Do you know that His death won't mean anything until you bow your head before Him in repentance? humility and confess your sins and call to him to save you did you know that you could do that thing today if you if that's what you need to do all you have to do is come to him admit you're a sinner we're all sinners the bible tells us and and even if you might not believe the bible have you ever done anything wrong yep well that's a sin we're all sinners Believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He claims to be the Son of God, and he is the Son of God. He's alive today. Confess your sins. Call on him to come into your heart and save you. And then you have that assurance, because he is alive, that you'll spend eternity with him. If you know him as Lord and Savior, how long has it been since you just thanked him? For his death and his resurrection. So that you can enjoy all the benefits that he has to offer. I say it a lot. For those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This life that we live right now. It's as good as it gets. This is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. Listen, if you're a child of God. This is as bad as it will ever get. And we have heaven waiting on us. Are you thankful for that today? Whatever you need, will you take care of that this morning? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for what today is. That day that we, this day that we get to celebrate your son, Jesus Christ. The payment that he paid for our sins, but not just that, dear Lord, the hope that we have 
because he is alive. Lord, this hope, it's more than just a, a wish. It's a settled fact, knowing that because Jesus is alive, we have a a home waiting on us one day that he's gone to prepare for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. Praise him for his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection. Dear Lord, we praise you for the fact that we have salvation and hope through that. Dear Lord, I, I pray this morning that if there are any that need to make decisions today will be that day whether it's for salvation or, or just rededicating their lives or just getting back and in tune with you, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for what today is and for what it means in our lives. We celebrate it and we worship you today. All these things we ask and we praise you for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.